our brains are being infiltrated with we have to have a certain lifestyle, which means success. There's this grand narrative that if I have this white picket fence and the right job, then I will be happy. Now, that's beautiful if you desire that, but underneath, do people really understand that who they are and what's valuable to them? If money was gone and we had to turn into a communist society tomorrow, what brings you joy? What brings you that spark? And a lot of the time people are finding that the job that they're in does not bring them that spark or that love. Turns out to the M. Paulo, thank you so much for coming to have a chat. Uh, could I think of anybody else that I'd want to sit with and discuss life with? Well, I have been interviewing various friends and people I know who are doing really creative things, and it wasn't until I walked into the space... You're currently staying at my place, and you've covered <laughs> the entire floor-to-ceiling foldable glass doors with the sort of notes that I are very familiar to me from screenwriting, mm -hmm. from living with a screenwriter showrunner. This looks like what, like we are surrounded by the sort of note taking and visual mind mapping that I would associate with yeah. creative work, Fantastic. narrative story building mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it that dawned on me when I, I came into your temporary lair that this, that your process is a really creative process. Absolutely. And, and that 
you know, well, for those who don't know, Emily Paulo, what do you do? Okay, so I run a social enterprise called Collective Potential, and what we do is these really creative workshops. And to me, self-development is the coolest thing on earth. And so when you look at workshops about going on a journey of self-discovery, that's what we do. We provide a space for you to explore your purpose, uh, look at your authenticity and really gain connection. And we do that through, I have a expert facilitators and uh, coaches that really work on this group dynamic work. And the idea being, we put them on every week, every month, and you can come along and really explore where you want to be. And that's always the promise of Collective Potential. We'll get you to where you want to be. So they're currently operating out of Melbourne, primarily? Out of Melbourne. And really, we've just been piloting for the last two years. I haven't actually uh, launched this. We launched this year. So we found that um, for us to be where we want to be, much like what we're doing with the participants, we have to see what people wanted. And we discovered that not only do they want skills, tools and resources to really change their life or change where, where they want to be, but they wanted to know how to do it. And then they wanted a community in which they could come back to and be supported to grow. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like if you go running on your own, you're doing well, you know. Most of us don't like it. The other half are fanatical about it. But if you're kicking off and you have a running group to go with, you're bound to, um, to create change quicker, get a shorter time because you're being egged on by the team and you're being held accountable to keep going. You, you don't really give up. So that's what collective potential is about. We help you unleash your potential and create the change you want to see, but we provide you with a community of awesome people who are doing the same thing as you. And for a mainstream audience, they're pretty cool. They're really into it. Young professionals, anywhere from 25 to 35. And of course we have everyone down to 18 and over to 50. So it really is this tribe-like um, uh, community that really back each other and are very creative very much in professional industries, they're from the government, they're from the education system, they're coaches themselves, and they're also mums and dads who are just looking for change in their later life. So it's a real mix, and I really love it. What sort of stuff do people... Is there, are there common themes that emerge with what people want to achieve? Yeah. I find that because of the group that we have, that a lot of it is about career and this mindset that um, I really don't like my job. <clears throat> and then the other one is I'm really stuck and I have lots of opportunities but which one do I pick and the other one is I just feel quite insecure I don't know who I am and why am I why am I in this place um, and so that's a lot of the problems that we're facing um, that I, I hear a lot of but really the solution to that is uh, spending time on self-exploration you know, and making it very, very cool to do it. And that's where I feel like we've hit a really nice niche of let's watch this video, let's look at the greats that are out there and get their, tra you know, the traits of the greats and, and the people that we admire, what is it we love about them? So how do we get those traits uh, to understanding that your thoughts create your reality and teaching people that they do and their beliefs. Um, and some of the coolest things that I think I love doing is really helping people gain that awareness, but then also break them, uh, break that belief that they have about themselves. And so our workshops are very intensive where people are walking away with a whole new set of 
beliefs about themselves, realising that they're the ones that are holding them back, not their job. So what is it? I mean, I'm so fascinated by this. I'm just about to do my own little hashtag quit your day job series because I'm obsessed with the idea that people are, so many people are doing things they don't really like. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just the luxury of this day and age that you can think about what you really like as Mm -hmm. opposed to what you need to do to survive. Mm -hmm. But what do you think it's been about this generation's, well, first of all, what's put people in situations where they are feeling stagnated Mm -hmm. and feeling stuck? Uh, I could talk all day about this, but in short, I think there's the collective unconscious. It's what we are being, um, our brains are being infiltrated with, we have to have a certain lifestyle, which means success. Now you could look at that came from the 80s where it just blew up and everything was in excess and we had to have cars and money and you know, this is huge shift towards being where you want to be and it, it actually is about capitalism. You know, we're, we have to have these purchases, we have to have this car, the house. There's this grand narrative that if I have this white picket fence and the right job, then I will be happy. Now, that's beautiful if you desire that, but underneath, do people really understand that who they are and what's valuable to them? What brings you purpose and meaning? Is it the car? Is it the house? Is it the career? So we look for it in all the wrong places and I feel like a lot of the time I'm hearing from people and I'm willing to be challenged on this, but I keep seeing it. Like 2,000 people have came through our programs um, and I just am starting to see what I never realised I had done most of my life was that money doesn't bring you happiness and neither does a career. But do these things bring you what? Uh, Comfort? Do they bring you um, freedom? Do they bring you responsibility? Do they bring you connection? So these values, these virtues are innate in all of humanity. From the dawn of time, every philosopher was talking about living a virtuous life. Now we get these virtues wrapped up in things. And so what I'm starting to do and spend a lot of time with people is if money was gone and we had to turn into a communist society tomorrow, what brings you joy? What brings you that spark? And a lot of the time people are finding that the job that they're in does not bring them that spark or that love. Do you know what I think is really challenging as well is a lot of people jump on board that train in high school mm-hmm. because you're choosing subjects that you'll study at uni when you're 16 mm-hmm. and you've probably got parents who are really guiding you towards what they believe your best earning potential is. Absolutely. Especially if you come in up in a private school world where mm-hmm. you've got a lot of parents who've invested the, the price of a small suburban house on their children's education. So they're really actively invested in getting the best return for their investment yeah. in terms of security for their child. Usually that, that more often than not, in terms of what I see, that parlays into a university education, which then culminates in a kid being in their early 20s and going, well, I'm educated in this thing now. It, it kind of makes the most sense for me to maybe travel for a year, but ultimately go into that line of work that I've been trained in pretty much since I was a teenager. And, and here's the societal norm and the, the contribution of our parents being told this is what success looks like. So you get in there and you do that. And, and it's almost like getting married at, at, at 18. <laughs> where are you, are you the same person year to year necessarily? Mm. Probably mm. not. So the fact that you've made this, you've invested all your chips in a future that is 
relevant to you by the time you're probably 30, 25, or even... So true. And, you know, there's something interesting that happens there too. Of I think um, what's missing in this place is between those ages of 18 to 25 and even up to 30, where are these mentors? Where are these guides that are outside your family? Like, look at the old days... It took a village to raise a child. You would go to your auntie as much as the guy down in the next hut. You know, you mm. get where I'm coming from. And you would have these mentors and these guides along the way. And they're not there as much. And I feel like people who do self-development or coaching or training are there to really give you those skills of, well, what do I want to do? And how would I enact this dream that I have that potentially is my parents or it's my own? But then there's the skills of what do I do to get to that place? Because mm. university doesn't equip you with the emotional intelligence of how to deal with getting to the next stage. And, you know, that block or that stop that we have to try to get to that dream is actually just you don't know. So then you stop. And, I, yeah. So, what I mean, it's interesting that, you know, we've got... If you are if you are listening to your immediate influences within your family, their prism of understanding is their own experience. And mm. if your if your key mentors in life are parents, which is usually it for many of us, mm. they're only really going to be able to give you in information based off their own experience. Mm. And for previous generations, and it's almost like our grandparents' generation and our parents' generation, just covering your bases and doing something that was financially secure for a post-war era mm. um, generation is is success. Yeah. And so therefore, I suppose, as time goes by, you're listening to information or inspiration based around an outdated way of being, which is survival, right. but we're living in a current day that's not necessarily... Where, where it's almost personal, emotional, spiritual survival is much more, much more relevant to our story than Brilliant. financial... Yes just affording to feed the family survival. Mm. And so you, like, so if you do only listen to generations old infor, in, information, it's been superseded. There's a new iOS. Mm. <laughs> Update the software. <laughs> and, you know, I like the, the, the ability to look at ourselves as we are computers in a way that our subconscious stores all of our memories and our experiences like the hard drive. But the hard drive can never tell you what to do. You have to input that information into the computer. And that's our conscious mind. So if we're only ever coming back to the iOS that our dads or parents had, then to maneuver into that innovation or that new world, no wonder it's so hard. So, you know, that's what I love about what I do is, okay, let's reprogram your iOS. Let's download a whole new system. We're going to learn about this, 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 and this, and it's going to change the way you're, you think. It's going to give you a framework. Um, and then you're going to be able to make decisions based on that new value system, that new hardware you have installed. And it's based on what you want. But that takes time to reflect on it. I've really loved watching the Atari that is my father try and yeah. update with an iPhone 6 iOS. Yeah. <laughs> and, how much, and how much of a challenge that has been for him. <laughs> See? Perfect example. Who are you surrounding yourself with? And we love our parents. They taught us values that we live out. And the reason, you know, early development says that the, the moment you start fighting with your parents, it's not that you're disagreeing with them, don't you think? I mean, they drive you crazy, a lot of people, and they're frustrated. But you're actually forming your own set of values. 
that no, I love that I had integrity and responsibility from you, but now I want creativity and I want freedom. Mm. And that's the new iOS, that's the iPhone 6 that we're installing because the world doesn't work like it used to and we can have a lot more freedom to do what we want to do in our life. In terms of your journey to get to this place, yeah. do you want to give me a, a, a rundown of high school to here and, and sure. you know, in a... Good one. And how, how you ended up being here? You know, this is where I'm always very real about um, my journey and because I really believe that where things have gone wrong, wrong in your life, these are defining moments that set where you want to be. So even though they've been a struggle or um, and you've seen adversity, overcoming them actually sets your pathway. So when I speak to a lot of people, I want them to give me their story of challenge or of adversity so I can f help them figure out where they're going to go because it becomes a strength rather than a weakness. In saying mm. that, my at 17, um, I grew up in Hallam, out 45 minutes out in the Burbs of Melbourne, and I had a really wonderful half Polynesian, half Aussie, so I call myself an Islander Bogan. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is um, I had this great family, or what looked like it was, um, but the challenges I faced were my dad passed away when I was 13, so the breadwinner of the family, um, hardworking, blue collar, out on the, the buildings, passed away from a workplace accident, which beautifully enough, I was also then mentored in my own unconscious way. My mum was a big part of um, starting work cover, which is now stated across the, all around Australia because he died from being in a really horrible, unsafe workplace. So she was quite strong in her own way. Um, and unfortunately, years later, after they fought that and um, that place with my dad, it was quite sad losing somebody so close. I, um, she got cancer. And so I had to deal with, oh my God, why is life worth living? And I went to drugs and alcohol like it was just tapped into my vein at any point of the day. And I look at it now and think, no wonder I was so heavily you know, um, just trying to escape because it was difficult. Like even at the time, you know, the high school was, I was dealing with sexual abuse, Dan, and that was never spoken about. Mm. It's never, ever spoken about. And that was from those that are men that were closest to me. So here I am dealing with parents dying, grieving, abuse, and I'm in puberty too. So it's a mess. I am on the edge and in walk to my high school the most beautiful human being, the tallest man I could ever imagine, was an AFL footballer called Jim Steins. And he was really well known as a community leader. And unfortunately, he passed away from cancer a few years ago. But he walked in and did a workshop that today I continue on its legacy. And I feel like this man asked me a question, and it was to explore ourselves as young people. How do we want to be remembered? And how do we treat each other in high school? Now, you don't talk about that stuff in high school. So, of course, I was like a champagne bottle, shaken up, about to explode. And as he asked me these questions, it popped. I just started crying and I couldn't necessarily figure out why this man talking to us had really inspired me. And generally, it was just because he gave me hope. He gave me a different perspective of if the session was about how do you want to be remembered, it wasn't about dying, it was about how you're going to live. And so in this moment, he started to set a whole new mindset of where I could be. 
and watching my year level at the time in this group session really open up and talk was amazing. Everyone just stays silent. So really this moment from the age of high school dictated where I went. I became really heavily involved with a charity that he ran called the Reach Foundation and over from the ages of 17 to I think it was probably about 30, I would have ran over 10,000 workshops for over 300,000 young people and they were very dynamic, very cutting edge when we started in the late 90s and I just learnt everything from sociology to psychology, how to present, how to use um, pop culture, how to, what is the creative process and um, I had a whole community around me that backed me so even though I was still running off the rails because it doesn't take so long really to it's not it's not a quick process to heal I was still consistently told I see your potential keep going I see your potential keep going so I feel like that's been from the age of 17 to now I'm 35 is my life I ran things like the Make Poverty History concert um, which was one of Australia's biggest youth movements. And there I am standing there on stage, still in this place of who am I and what I want to do. But I was presenting and producing um, rock concerts around the country at 25. I've run workshops for Indigenous communities and elders and really did some heavy community development work of how do you empower people to then help their own community rather than these white communities coming in and saving them. Mm -hmm. And I learned that about international development, even with Make Poverty History concerts, empower people, they start to believe in themselves or get them to care about someone else and they'll start to believe in themselves more so. Mm. So that's been almost my work career, but underneath is just this fundamental belief that everybody has um, power within, that they need to be, um, that you can unleash it. And so that's how I started Collective Potential. Do you think there's a certain, when you're standing on the, on the precipice of launching a Make Poverty History mm. run and the person who wouldn't necessarily step up to the plate might be apprehensive because of all the things that can go wrong and all of the risk involved and all of the... Do you think there's something about having, in a sense, stared into the abyss as a young person through so much challenge and trauma, mm. having survived that Good. and then looking at stuff that otherwise someone might go... I don't want to potentially, you know, fuck up or do something that's going to make me look foolish. You're like, well, you know what? I've already looked, stared deep into the well of my soul. So quite frankly, on. if this concert doesn't work out, you know what? <laughs> I've seen worse and I've survived it. I think so. I think that's a deep capacity um, that you understand, understand what resilience is. Like resilience is one of my core values um, or sub-values that I know that when I... You know, even at the moment, I'm going around really promoting what collective potential is and there's no doubt that thought of, is this good enough? Do people want to come in? And yet, staring deep into the abyss, I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? I've experienced it and I've heard story after story of people um, failing but only seeing it as the greatest lessons. And so, yeah, you're spot on. Mm. You're spot on. What was it? Was there a between 
reach and that late 20s period, I love, which I love. It's such a juicy electric time for so many people. I love that return of Saturn, late 20s kind of freak out. <laughs> so good. Oh, I should have done more with my life. I'm 30. Yeah. Oh, God, what's the, happening? The pre-30 meltdown is the best. But was there a period pre-collective potentials inception that was there a tipping point or a turning point that was the catalyst to begin collective potential? Yeah, I think so. Like I started really partying hard again because I'd almost achieved a dream. Like I ran a youth organization that I'd set out to do. I was the top trainer facilitator. I'd hit my dream. And I feel like sometimes that's what people don't realize is the catalyst of I'm, un I'm, I'm unhappy in my job is actually the catalyst or the movement to say time to go and grow somewhere else. Instead, we're like, I hate the job. And it's like, no, no, no. There is more for you to go and apply um, your skills and knowledge to. And now you want to go into a new fish pond where you're then the smaller one. Um, you're a small fish in the big pond again. And rather than I was the big fish in the small little pond, that's a catalyst to say, I want to grow. So the, I think the biggest thing is I started to notice that I, I was getting bored of it and I was blaming my job and I was blaming the organisation that they didn't value what I had to bring. And I really... Took, um, took stock and said, okay, no, this is about you going out and doing this for adults now. So again, that's when I realised, all right, what do you want to do? And I wanted to start my own stuff with adults, with uh, coaching, and because I love it. Um, and then, unfortunately, Jim Steins passed away from cancer, and so he was like a father figure to me. And then... Um, I realized that I was still thinking that I wasn't good enough. That's why I didn't like my job. I didn't go and I spent probably way more years than I should have stayed there, poor organization. But the unconscious belief was that I wasn't good enough to go do something else, so I stayed in there. And that's when I started to party hard again and then it started to get a little bit messier and I was very unsatisfied in so many areas. In saying that, I went traveling because there's nothing like perspective. And I think that I really encourage people and they're like, I just want to go away. I just want to travel. I say, do, do it. it. Because when you're in another country and you're in another culture and it's feeding that connection and value you've never had before or haven't had for a while, it makes you start to think differently. So even a weekend trip or a week mm. trip or going to another state. I you think? Well, not only do I totally agree, but when I, in, my, in this little video series I did, that was one of the turning points for me was taking some time away from the job to go down to Melbourne for a couple of weeks. Right. Because then when I came back and I say I was, thankfully I was, I was given a house from a total stranger to house it because I was so underpaid in the job. I couldn't even afford a holiday. Oh yeah, know it well. So I was house sitting in, in the middle of winter in Melbourne, but returning to the job three weeks later, there was such a clear, distinct difference between who I was and the environment that I was in. Yeah. Whereas previously I'd merged with the environment and I'd become part of the, the, the felt fabric of those fucking divisionals <laughs> that people sit in between in cubicle land. And I similarly think when I've done big international multi-month journeys, and especially in my early to mid-twenties, that, that is so necessary for one's own personal understanding of themselves because I liken it to the year 10 science experiment where you have the variable and the constant and the only way that you learn the properties of the constant is by changing the variables around it. Brilliant. So if you are the constant and you put yourself in different environments where you're no longer 
you know, able to rely on things being the same around you. You learn the properties of the constant by shifting the variables. Oh, brilliant way of putting it. Yeah, you I actually love that. It's it's so it's so interesting to notice. You remove the anchors of who people want you to be, because oftentimes when you're around friends who come to rely on you to be a certain thing. Mm. You can't wake up one day and say, I don't feel like that being that person for you anymore mm-hmm. because they're like, what do you mean? Well, you're my, you're my rock, you're my this, you're my that. But when you wake up in a hostel in Rome, all you are is whoever the, whoever the hell you wake up as oh, that morning. Yeah. And what a, no wonder, like that's, a, that's such a good point that you're unhooking yourself from the social context that, or the identity in which you think you are. And that's a scary thing, don't you think? Yeah. That when you're... When if you were to leave the job or leave the thing that's unsatisfying, you're actually having to change your identity, and you've known that you're in comfort zone. So life begins at the end of your comfort zone, if I may be cheesy, but that's the perfect example of when you go travelling, you get to um, you get to see a whole other side of yourself, and you get to be whoever you want, and you can bring that back. Uh, do you know what else I find? People who have stagnation in their lives for whatever reason need to rely on this on the stillness of others to reassure their own situation mm. so i get questions from friends that really try well, I, I don't feel like it's aiming to anchor me to outdated versions of myself sometimes but mm. catching up with old friends who haven't seen you for a while they just they'll just go to what they know mm. how's work how's your partner mm. how's you know and that's the only way in which they can receive you because it allows them to make sense and then to throw, it's actually really hard to throw curveballs about ideas you're thinking about that are really far out or versions of yourself you're experimenting with being or even to say, I guess what, I'm nothing like the person that you you might have known the last time we caught up a year ago or six months ago and have you got a couple of hours because, you know, but how often does, does anyone really want to have a catch-up latte that goes that deep? Not so easy. Oh, God, you're good. It's so true. You're calling out to so many reasons why people just don't create change. Because, And that's why I like collective potential. Because I understand, like you just said then, the value of meeting new people who are in that like-minded space of your, as, as you are. And you can pull that apart. And you can get real and say, I don't get it. And I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people told me consistently, how are you going to do that without revenue? Where's your multiple income streams, Emily? Have you got your packages and your services and your products together? And if I'd waited to do that, I wouldn't be sitting here in Sydney um, discussing this conversation with you, let alone meeting bank financial advisors, the top um, uh, investment funds in the country, You know, even the possibility of meeting some of my shiros and personal development heroes. It just... It just is integral to find a, a, a group of people or even one or two that can really have that space with. So, mm. as always, Dan, that's beautiful. Well, you know, I this has traditionally been an interview series about people doing traditionally creative stuff. And the reason why I really wanted to chat to you is because you've come to stay in the house that I'm staying in at the moment and we are surrounded by a wall full of your creative note-taking. You have... <laughs> You have posted, postedified our, <laughs> our our walls. It's the I'm just I'm I'm not traditionally a writer, so I'm always in awe of people who can sit down and map things out on on their computer and have it beautifully set out. No, no, I'm visual, 
and I'm audio even. I need to hear it and then I'll do it. Um, You've literally thrown shit at the wall I've to see what's stuck. Yeah, post-its, number one. Mm. Get it. So there's four square meters of notes on the walls <laughs> around me. So she's set up like a like some sort of bowerbird, creative potential <laughs> bowerbird in my living space. And it made me go, oh my God, this is a creative process mm, mm. that I'm that I'm looking at because it's exactly what I would do to write a script. I've lived with script writers and showrunners before who work very similarly. Yeah. I wanted to then, well, it was, it's a delight to be able to speak to you regardless, but to anchor it back to this being ultimately a creative process is such a turn on for mm -hmm. me. So tell me, how do you cast the net to gather inspiration when you're at a point of going, I need to start a new project, I need to invest my energy in something new. Mm -hmm. How does that process look for you? It's a really great question. and. Bear with me because I don't know I've actually ever spoken this out. So it would be great just to pull it out of my hard drive and mm. be like, I think this is it. Um, first of all, there's no linear process, is there? No. Like, I think that there's a wonderful process you can guide yourself with. And I am doing this as I put everything up on my, on this, oh, sorry, on your window. I've taken over. I feel a little bit bashful about it, but I was like, I just have to get it out. No, it's heaven. I'm like, this is how the mind of a genius works. <laughs> I like to think so. Other <laughs> days it's not like that. <laughs> but um, this actually came from me not thinking I was a genius because at first I was like somebody said, um, who's very high up in um, the industries that I want to be, and I said, how do I do this? Now my first process is, if you don't know, ask somebody because there's going to be somebody who knows. So the first step, the, the catalyst for me to do this was, I don't know. Um, so, look, the end out goal is I really have to learn how to explain the impact collective potential will have on the people in Australia. So, on two elements, the purpose behind this is there's corporate workshops that I really would like to bring way more authenticity um, and, authentic, um, and purpose-filled lives into the corporate space because a lot of people are saying... I'm unhappy. Yeah, as you know. And uh, the other one is the process of when I go to funders social impact investors, I need these, this asset, this huge amount of money to be able to employ people, have my operations and fixed costs so I can have a sustainable product and business that keeps feeding the social change aspect. So I'm stuck because the funders want to know this and I need to generate revenue. So rather than sit on my own, I knew I had to just get it all out of me. So that's the purpose. I had mm. to know what my purpose was to putting this stuff up on the wall. Mm. And generally, that's just because of what people are telling me I need to do. So, what do you want to know? My well, steps to this? If when, that's my I mean, purpose behind does, it. If you, say for example, you set yourself a, a, a goal, mm -hmm. and traditionally, when talking with artists, it's a creative goal, mm -hmm. but you were looking to create something, to give birth to something, the way one would ideas or a, a, or a piece of work. Well, does, that, is, does that usually begin with, a, all right, I'm going to gather in, in, information from a number of different sources? Yeah, so again... Um, Knowing that this is giving birth to an organisation or a business, um, it's the same thing, it's an idea, right? Mm. Um, I know that um, I have to be able to communicate it really clearly. So there are components within me that are left just sitting inside my hard drive. So every post-it note becomes one of those components. So I do self-development work. So I'm pulling out every method or theory that I've studied that infiltrates the work that I do. Now, I'm Emily and people love my facilitation style and it's 
based on me needing to create my own theory of facilitation that people want to buy. Is, is your way of working with other people a way that would ultimately ring true with yourself first and foremost? Yeah. Okay. Great question. Well, it'd have to be, right? Yeah. Does, is that a... Is that, I would That's only ever process. I would I would only ever question. know how to facilitate someone in the way that was that would work best for myself. Yeah, right. But I didn't know whether someone else Now would. that's interesting. Is it the chicken or the egg that comes first? Do you need to um, be completely and utterly aligned and in integrity that what you are is what you're delivering to the world? And you have to really go through that process. That's so true. That's a beautiful way of putting it. But then you have to think to yourself is everything I've studied making up who I am. And that's what people are buying. Mm. So when I do this, I'm actually pulling out everything that I've ever studied, everything that I've trialed, and I'm putting it up on the wall to see if I can make sense of it. Mm. So self-development structures are mind, body, and spirit, right? It's a holistic way of looking at yourself. So everything that's up on this whiteboard is the holistic way of working with human beings. So I'm all about the human condition. So everything that's up on that wall is I'm pulling up what do I know about the human condition. When you said mind, body and spirit, I don't know why, but I had a flashback to you in Byron Bay. Yes. And I, and how, how many years ago was that? Uh, four now. So there was a point at which you disappeared off the Melbourne social <laughs> I did. scene. There was my trip away. And that, and I was, because th- I was thinking about catalysts and turning points and points at which... There's no, once you return from that place, there's no going back because no. something has shifted. So true. And I'm, and I wonder, was that, was, was Byron, was, how, how long were you living in Byron Bay for? I lived there in the end for nine months and I'd been traveling for nine months. Um, and again, I'd, I'd been to Iran and all the Muslim Islamic countries. I'd been to Botswana, um, and different parts of Africa. Um, and then I came back into the Western world knowing that I could not live this life that I'd always had in Melbourne. And I was very committed to continuing to love who I am and believe in myself enough to then do that for others. So I took myself to Byron. I was like, I'm going, I'm out. And my friends were just like, what? I didn't even check in with anyone about it. I just had packed up my house prior and I knew that I just needed to slide straight into Byron after I'd done a few weeks of work around the country. And did you think, what was the difference between pre-Byron experience and post-Byron experience? Because that nine months is such a beautifully symbolic time period to disappear. <laughs> it is too. You know, I think about um, uh, an arrow, that sometimes you have to go backwards to be really shot forward in life. And I've got this real sense of arrow symbol symbolism in my life. Because when you say, that's it, I'm going to drop what I am, you feel like you're going backwards because you're not earning as much money. You're changing things up and so you start to get this, this, this comfort zone that I don't have what I used to have. But in actual fact, when I went to Byron, I sliced my salary in a, to a third. And I had nothing, including my own, I gave away everything, minimalist lifestyle. I lived with a bag and I thought, I don't have any goods, I sold my car. And this going backwards actually was what propelled me forward because I sat in Byron and a lot of people say I don't have the luxury to do that and you're like true but what works for you to go backwards is that you have time during these days to 
really work out who you are and what your identity is and what you value. So in my Byron days where I was working two weeks in Melbourne or Sydney being flown down for work, um, somehow I'd made that work for me of making myself indispensable. You need me to do this, but you can only have me if you fly me from Byron. Worked out for me because I had time to do that. And, I, um, and out of desperation, I had to put myself forward to say, you need me. So that's where another part of it came from. But in the other two weeks of the month, yeah, I was sitting inside a garage that I had redecorated and turned into my beach paradise on the beaches of Byron outside of it. And I dreamt all day long. I had vision boards. I had, um, I was reading books that taught me how to set up small business. I was on Skype starting to drag people into my coaching service. I would use Facebook as my way of my soapbox, I believe that everybody needs assistance and support to get the resources they need to live an inspired life and the life they imagine. Like that was my same thing I preached because I was reading these books that said, preach this, people will get to know your consistency mm. of your message. And so Byron gave me that space to really read the structures that had worked for everyone else. <coughs> um, and yes, it was a really exciting and terrifying time. But that creative process that I went through up there really is just integrated unconsciously now. I can just spit it out. And for me, one of the, the biggest tipping points in my year, because I, because the, the, it's been a real fantastic tour. I think I've developed my, the, the ethos that will lead me through the next chapter of my life in the last year in terms of being a year ago, doing a job that I really didn't like, being in a really corporate space, okay. being being kind of ground down. I describe the experience of working in a corporate job, which, and I have to caveat that, not only did it teach me a lot and I was really appreciative of the experience, but it was a fine job and would have been fine for, for anyone else. But I, for me, not at the stage that I was at in my process. And the point at which I realized that and did something about it was too long. Mm. And, the, and one of the biggest shifts was taking that time away, but also the the thirty days of real was actually I think that yeah. begun directly after. So so for those actually, what if someone says to you, "Hey, I see this thing that you sometimes do on Facebook, thirty days of real. What's all that about?" I straight up say, I really believe in living a purpose filled life, and that involves being very real about who I am and what's going on for me. And a lot of the time it's doubt. And I think that a lot of people are in that same place. And so rather than putting out this perfection of look at my life that most people do on Facebook, I wanted to stand for that authenticity, mm. that being real. You just made me think of something really interesting because you know I do it now. I I did a thirty days of real challenge, in, directly inspired by yours, which was so such a catalyst to me finding a voice and a purpose and a sense of being for what I really wanted wonderful. to be putting out into the world. I love that you did it. That's and so and now that's manifested into me just doing a fifteen second Instagram update just to make sure it was um, undeniable every day, no questions, fifteen seconds, sound biting a thought that was not trying to be an opus, but just a little micro haiku. Right. But the, <laughs> the, um, it's interesting the notion of recurring themes, because oftentimes I think, fuck, I can't talk about my frustration at how little I've achieved again for the 60th time in a row. I'm gonna have to, well, so what I end up doing is 
focusing on what I'm doing to combat that and mm -hmm. so the, yeah. the positive twist on my frustration yeah. but I didn't want to be I didn't want to be boring by talking about the same thing again and again but maybe we all have a narrative that is consistently there whenever we check in with ourselves so in order to be truly authentic you have to just report from that place mm. and and I could authentically say every day at midday I'm flipping out because I haven't done enough I'm frustrated with myself for not having achieved the goals I set for myself sooner I'm devastated that I haven't gotten to the place that I could envision months ago yet you know and that would be my narrative constantly yeah and I don't and it's and I wonder it's not doubt, it's frustration. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that eventually that will subside. <laughs> or I need to do work around that further. What do you think of this? So I just happen to be surrounded by multi-billionaires and millionaires who run investment companies. Um, you know, they're all on the rich list. And somehow they say that you are, you are um, the makeup of the five people you surround yourself with. So I have generally found myself surrounded by these brilliant businessmen and women. And so I get to go out and walk with them. Well, you know, went to the beach with one of them. And um, he told me, I guess, how are you going? I said, oh, look, I'm growing. I'm loving it. And he goes, and? I said, oh, it's horrible. Startup is so hard. Um, you know, I've full of fear and anxiety some days because I'm thinking about how do I pay this or do that and where do I need to go and I don't know and yet this is all the stuff that I study so how am I still in this place? And he said to me, well, startup is the most horrible place when you first begin. Nowadays, I wouldn't even care about that stuff. The risk doesn't even, doesn't even worry me. So your capacity to handle this stuff really grows. But he said, what I'd really like people to understand if there is doing startup or even growing their business is that fear and doubt and frustration drives you. It's like yin and yang is what I got from him, is that you actually can't have one without the other. And if you really look at duality and you look at the ancient teachings, mind and heart you have to have both you've got to know the budgets but you also have to be in the passion of it but then some people that you have within your businesses will be more hard and so you can be the mind so you have to find that duality even mm. within who you're working with let alone who you are within you and i just thought that that was a really cool conversation of we don't have to get rid of this stuff it drives us it, it feeds us but where it becomes an imbalance what I've noticed in myself is when I feed it. Mm. I feed it by doing this and I feed the wrong wolf, you know, as such. So I hear you say that and go, doesn't that drive us? It does. And the thing is, if you were totally content, you'd be sitting on a mountaintop in a mm. state of Zen and you wouldn't be achieving anything because you were, mm. you had everything you already needed. <laughs> so, and, and that's and, Oh no, you would be achieving a greater okay, level. Yeah, you'd, greater you'd, level. Be, you'd be achieving something mm. that was beyond the material plane. Mm. But I suppose we're living in the material plane, so we've got to dance with it. And we want it. We're choosing to stay in the material plane. And so, I, did, I don't know, I thought that was so cool that even in the videos that both of us have done, I think it is healthy media. So I am not just doing it for my own, um, my own um, need and want, but I'm doing it because there are certain people out there, and quite a lot of them actually. Like how many responses did you get to your video of speaking about your frustration and your negativity, but then applying what you're learning? 
Yeah, I, I am doing it for my own need and want because I'm a show pony. Yeah. But no, my no. To, no, to tell you the truth, I to tell you the truth, I find it so liberating to be someone who knows media, who has been creating visual work since they were a kid, who has a firm understanding of representing themselves using these tools that social has given to everybody, mm. but being resistant to be a selfie guy for years and years of people becoming selfie guys and girls, mm. because I thought, well, once I've got everyone's attention and looking at me, mm. what am I truly saying to them that makes it worth their time? And I would just feel, cool. because getting attention is, is easy for me to walk into a space and capture, captivate someone's attention and dazzle them. But with that, I kind of go, well, once they're paying attention to me, I have to really have something that's worth paying attention. Otherwise, I'm just sort of tap dancing, you know, in front of them without any real purpose for the interaction. And now that I've got a nucleus of a purpose that I truly believe in, which is I know what my message is and I'm really looking forward to sharing that. I, did you see my getting naked in people's houses or in my friend's house and watering the plants. I've never put as much nudity on social media, but I was like, this idea is twisted yes. and kooky yes. and perverse and there's something Love very it. vulnerable about it and it's liberating. And I'm in a friend's house creating art in that very artful space that is got, and there's something that I believed in the message enough to go. It's so worth show poning out in this way. Oh, yeah. And so now that I'm bringing ideas that I'm proud of, mm. I will happily prostitute myself for the ideas because a, a parent would prostitute themselves for their child. You know? You do, it's a really great way of putting you it. Do, you would, would you, do it. You do anything it takes to, 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 to make them survive. It's so true. It's so true. Like I love um, the way you put that because I also think you could call it prostituting and you could say that it's for your baby, but it's just a, a you know, why wouldn't we do that is also because we've got these society views and judgments and you're breaking them, Dan. Yeah. You're breaking free of them and you're saying, this is what I wanted to be now. Five years ago or ten years ago, I would never have done something like this. But I own this part. And that's what I'm so, always so fascinated by, that people are like, I couldn't do that. But sometimes you've got to ask, is that actually even your belief? Mm. So I love that you would sit naked with all plants behind you. I wouldn't. You know, but I love that because that shows your creativity. There's a value there of, eh. Yeah. Well, there was, yeah, it was coming with an idea. It wasn't just a look at me thing. Yeah. But I'm okay with the look at me. Yes. I just need there to be something behind it. Somebody said to me once, what do you think of this? Um, when you step up, when you're asked to step up, or when you say, that's it, I'm going to step up and stand in the arena of life, right? Marred by dust. What's that beautiful quote? Um, and... You know, you have to dare greatly in life. You have to be then seen. And that's a whole other stage of stepping up. Like, and you having all those eyes on you is a new responsibility or a new place that you've put yourself in. So I'm always curious about what do people put around them or what can they start to do or the tools and resources that as they've been seen, how is that impacting them, you know? And that, this is what I'm, I'm curious about, that every time you step up, you started being a bit more creative about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna bandage this new being seen with even more creativity because then that will help me flow. Yeah, you know? definitely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It it's the it's the vessel on which you know I travel and I'm being propelled by ego. Yeah, and ego is healthy. It's important. So if well if you if you met someone who was the eighteen year old 
Emily, mm. someone who's on par in terms of just needing to break through, needing to break through, or even that fantastic mid to late twenties version, just the person, a person who was at a stage in their life where they felt stagnated and they didn't know how to move or what the first step would look like. What would you tell them? I think about this a lot um, because I'm always wondering who I'm talking to in my work and I don't talk to those who already know this and I definitely don't talk to those who have already applied this um, self-development processes that I teach and help to empower people. I'm talking to my 30-year-old self or my 25-year-old self and the first thing I say is I'm allowed. That's my message because we have to give ourselves permission to leave our job or we have to give ourselves permission to just let go of the old life and surrender to it and I'm very big on starting within first before changing the job so that self-analysis or that journey of discovery or really simply I'm just checking out what it is that I could do and then how I would react to this if I could do it say I'm allowed because even when the frustration comes up or that I'm not good enough. Don't fight it. If you resist it, it will persist. And that's where anxiety comes from too. When you're like, I don't want to pretend that I'm happy when I'm totally actually freaking out that I'm not good enough. I'm allowed to feel all of that. And I'm very, very big on that being a catalyst for people to change. And from there I say, forgive yourself on every level and every way for how badly you've treated yourself with that negativity now that you've got those two points, what do I want? And everything I want, I get when I have clarity on what I want. So spend time with somebody and get very clear on what you want. I want spaces of connection where people can explore who they are and feel as though they can achieve what they want on this journey. That's what I want. So we just keep going. How would I do that? You don't need to know how. You just need to get very clear on the end result and take the next obvious step. So they're my two points. I'm allowed and get very clear on what you want. Don't worry about how you're going to get there. That's useless timing. Mm. It's, you don't even, you just take the next obvious step and then you go and ask someone or you ask yourself, what am I going to do? It's so funny because I've been trying to give some thought starters to my dad who's in a beautifully raw two-thirds life crisis place at the moment. And it's very hard for me to give him any ideas around what do you want because that's what I've been really focusing on without the step before mm. without the I'm allowed and I forgive myself you found that? the what do you want doesn't even register because of so many things there would be so there are so many things that I'm thinking about now that he isn't available to seeing because he if you don't forgive yourself and you don't feel that you're allowed to xyz then you can't even think about what you want. You can't start focusing on goals and things that you want to try and achieve because you don't feel like you deserve them. And people don't recognise that resistance within themselves. They think it's just, I'm, I can't, I, I'm not good enough. So that's how we have been trained in society since we were little kids, to just go, oh, no, that feeling is not, don't. When in actual fact, it's actually time for you to just stop for a moment and go, am I allowed to do this? Yeah. Um, and I think it takes a very skillful person to do that for themselves because it's somewhat cheesy. It's not done in a masculine society either. Mm. But the world's changing 
there's a nice balance of the feminine self or the nurturing self before you hit masculine. And I think people need to step into that and own it. Mm. That makes you more of a man to be able to do that. That makes you more of a woman to be able to speak to that softer space inside you and then move. And I'd like to think that some of the greatest people on earth, the reason they say, I don't even think about that, is because they've given themselves permission to. What you, in the next chapter of the Emily Polo journey <laughs> and collective potential, mm. what will you be allowing yourself to receive? Great question. Oh, there's so many delicious things inside here as I'm thinking about it. I'm like, ooh, good. <laughs> yeah, you are. That feels yeah, good. girl. I think it is. Um, these stories that I've told myself that I operate, maybe when I'm on stage or in a coaching session, I am what I want to be. But there is a, um, a process outside of my life that I can really take hold of this insecurity and doubt and I, I let it embed inside me in moments and I feel like what I'm allowed to do is really, well, I said it before, didn't I, to others, step into the arena and embody the work on every level in every way, that I am what I've always wanted to be and that I can do what I need to do just because I want to. So there's layers of journeying to where you want to be and I really feel like this is one of my last stages of being able to say, doubt is just an excuse. I know the power I have. So that would be it, is this next stage of embodying who I am. Mm. I can't wait to watch. <laughs> Thank oh, you so man. much. Of course, Dan. And, you know, I must say to you too, you are, anyone who's listening to this um, are either friends or somebody in your community, but they're passing on what it is that you do and you're a beacon of authenticity. And I love that about you. You walk around. I feel like you already embody that. So I admire what you're doing and what you put out to the world. And as far as I'm concerned, you already say I'm allowed. It's oh. beautiful. The Naked Creative, it's all, ah! about, it's all about exposing yourself. See? There it is. Expose more often. Thanks for having me.